0: We're going to share with you what they don't teach you in business school. Welcome to the show. Welcome to today's episode of Cascading Leadership. I am your friendly neighborhood talent strategy nerd, Dr. Jim. And today we are in for a phenomenal episode on the overarching topic of career navigation. We're going to learn some critical things in this episode. First of all, we're going to learn why staying true to yourself has to be central to your career story and career navigation plan. We're going to also learn why there isn't any virtue in anonymity, and we're also going to learn what are the keys to actually getting ahead in the modern world. I have a feeling that we're going to be getting rid of some erroneous beliefs throughout the course of the conversation, and the person that's going to guide us through this journey and all of these learnings, joining us from Australia, from the land of Oz, is Natalie Colson. Natalie, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Jim. It's great to be here. One thing that I will ask,
0: I've, I've only had a couple of guests on from Australia. How many things right now in your backyard exist that can kill you? That's the first thing that I think our <laughs> listeners want to understand or know.
1: There probably are some spiders and we've got some bushland, so like some forest next to the house where there's probably snakes, but you just don't see them. So okay, you don't think about it.
0: I'll, I'll be on high alert to see if there's a huntsman spider that's walking across your back wall carrying like a sparrow or something.
1: They're like our pets, like they <laughs> are not going to hurt you.
0: Okay, I'll take your word for it. I want you to set the stage and get our viewers and listeners up to speed on, on what you're up to these days, what you're doing now, and then we'll start into the conversation.
1: I'm working with entrepreneurial thinkers to help them to elevate to find their personal brand and it goes beyond that I work with people who are still in a corporate environment or they have made the transition into their own business they may be quite established in their own business so it does go between those two or those two sort of extremes but it's about owning their story owning who they are and elevating going to that next level so whatever that is for that individual
0: It's an interesting niche that you've carved out. And I know that there's a story behind it, but in in broad terms, why did you opt for picking this niche? You're talking about current corporate employees and talking to them about building their brand and then moving into entrepreneurship.
1: It really follows my own journey. And so it's just a pathway that I understand really clearly and I understand what the challenges are. And a lot of those, what I have discovered, like you can teach or you can learn through various courses tactics, so how to write, how to develop a digital marketing plan. There's so much content now on YouTube. You can pay for courses. And while all of that is super useful and is important, getting your mindset right is fundamental. And I feel like that word is actually overdone as well. But it's getting, once you realize and really get clear on who you are, everything else is just smooth. You don't have to be perfect in your content marketing or digital or understanding how it all connects together because those things will develop as you go. But getting clear on your story, I have just learned and embracing that is what people notice. And it's what sets you apart from others. And it actually just feels good as well. So really, I've picked this niche because it's the journey I've taken it and I understand how transformative it is.
0: That's a great bit of insight. And I'm going to keep digging. This is what I do in conversations is that I just dig into things. I'm like a little badger or something like that. So what's particularly interesting about what you said, you you touched on it and you played it off as it was cliché and that's the concept of mind mindset. And yes. I think one of the areas that I'm curious about is when you think about the mindset that somebody's living in a corporate environment and the mindset that they need to shift to in an entrepreneurial environment. What's the scaffolding that you're bringing, or bringing along and teaching and coaching these folks that are looking to make that transition that a lot of people might not be aware of? How is being an entrepreneur from a mindset perspective different than the mindset that you have as wage-earning employee?
1: So many of us, particularly in Gen X, and I'm sure some millennials too, and certainly the older demographics, we've been taught to do as we're told, to study, to get an education, or maybe get a trade, but for most people that I associate with, it was getting an education, going to university, ticking all the boxes. And then you land on a job and you are then told what to do. You have KPIs, you've got set holidays. So many people are frustrated by that, those constraints. And we've realized well, that does not bring happiness. And it actually doesn't even bring success. In a city, I'm based in Sydney and houses are 3 and $4 million around where I live. And you can't actually afford to live here or not live well on if you'd followed all those rules. So that is that's the that is the problem. But the opportunity is when I talk to people and I hear them say when I was on holidays or when I was taking my yoga class or when I they have all these dreams and things that they're and it's not as simple as following your passion, but it is Noticing problems that you actually feel passionate about solving. And that is not something that we're taught at school. And many of us, not everybody, but many of us have that, but we just haven't been taught how to embrace it or even embrace the risk associated with that. So that's what I'm talking about with entrepreneurial thinking. Some people are very happy being in their corporate job and that structure really works. And that there's nothing wrong with that either. But I want to work with the people who actually are not content with that. They want to bust out. They know there's something different, something better for them.
0: One of the things that I want to make sure that viewers and listeners are gathering from this conversation that it doesn't have to be a binary all or nothing equation. One of the things that I often talk about with members of my team is you if you're really thinking about yourself as a business, as a CEO and having that owner's mentality, one of your primary responsibilities should be diversifying your revenue streams. So you have your W2 job that gives you a steady paycheck and your benefits and all that sort of stuff. But there's a whole bunch of other skills and things that you have interest in that could easily be monetized from a product perspective. And those are different product lines that you can monetize. And the value in doing that is that you're never really beholden to any one thing. And you have multiple contingencies that you're building on the fly. And who knows, if some if you hit on something that you're really passionate about, that could be the primary thing and then you move other, uh, other things and reprioritize. I don't want people to misconstrue the message and think, oh, it's an all or nothing equation. It's actually multiple options that you can use to build this out.
1: And that's why I like to use the term entre- entrepreneurial thinkers because... Yeah, you can have a corporate job um, or you can be an entrepreneur, and which is highly valuable for the person running the business as well to come up with these transformative ideas and different ways of bringing revenue into the organization. And I spent a lot of time in sales and that fosters that sort of thinking. And I was quite happy Being a sales professional in a job. So that's fine as well. And yes, you don't, you could be running a side hustle. You could have consulting or coaching clients on the side. It doesn't, yeah, it doesn't mean all or nothing for sure. Not everyone's think- in a position where they can just leave their job and it's just not feasible for some. One of
0: the guests that we've had on the show earlier mentioned that when you're mapping out your overall career trajectory or any decision-making process that you're going through, it's always good to have what he called, this is Phil Rank, he's the CEO of Lean Alaska. And what he said is when he was transitioning from military life to civilian life, one of the things that he thought about was, I need to build a pace plan. I need to have a primary plan, an alternate plan, a contingency plan, and an emergency plan. So if you look at yourself at the desk level as a CEO, you should be on the fly working those things all at the same time. So you have the maximum amount of flexibility to pursue what you want to pursue. So I think what you're doing is really great stuff, particularly because a lot of people, regardless of generational demographics have been conditioned to believe that there's one path to success. And success is only defined in one particular way. And usually that means you're born, you get a bunch of degrees, you go find a corporate job somewhere, and then you work there till you die. Great stuff so far, Natalie. Thanks for sharing that. I want to wind the clock back. So you didn't start out doing this stuff. I want to build out some context and have you share with the audience when you look at your, your early life, your early career life, And you mapped that journey out. What did that look compared to where you are right now?
1: I was the child of school teachers. So I was 100% a people-pleasing rule follower, which gave me a lot of structure. I quite enjoyed it. Didn't have a problem with that at all. I didn't feel controlled. And so, yeah, I followed the traditional path. And yeah, got my university degree, got a graduate certificate, started off in magazine publishing as a journalist, and then worked in as an account manager. But what happened is I, and it's very typical for Australians to want to go and work abroad. We're so far from the rest of the world, but yet we feel mentally that we're living right beside you. So I went across and lived in Canada. So I was in Toronto, Canada for a number of years and built my career there.
0: I'm giggling because when you said you live, you're born and raised in Australia, and even though we're far away from everybody we think we're right next door and i was like oh you guys are the canadians of the south and then you end Pretty up going much. to canada
1: yes yeah, so it just uh, various reasons of why i ended up in canada but i found a lot of opportunity and a, a lot of scope to build my magazine publishing career in toronto and it sounds very quaint probably for your listeners but that epitome the epitome of my success was I was flying across Canada, meeting different clients and bringing a lot of revenue in for the publication that I worked for. And what was my absolute highlight was, I think I was like six o'clock in the morning. It wasn't anything very attractive, but I was on a flight paid for by my company going to New York. And I thought, here is this girl from, and I'm not from Sydney. So I'm from outside of Sydney. So from this small town, and now I'm flying to New York on, on somebody else's, I'm getting paid to do it. So that is that was the absolute highlight and the peak. I wasn't earning well, six figures or anything. It was a modest, good salary, but a modest salary. And I thought I'd made it. But yeah, a bit more about my story beyond that.
0: It's interesting that you frame it that way, because when you describe it that way, and if I'm a disinterested third party hearing about that, small town person growing up, go to a whole different country, work in high powered publishing, you're... without the drinking and the sexual harassment, you're describing like the madmen type life, flying all (laughs) over the place. and meeting. That sounds phenomenally cool. And at that point in in your life, I don't think I would have thought any differently either because I have (laughs) similar experiences when I was younger where I was like, oh, wow, this is pretty cool. I've got other people paying for my trips to go meet interesting people. Awesome.
1: And then they would say to me, just make your meetings on a Friday or a Monday. And I would literally get Paid to take people to lunch. And I was like, what is this? And I loved it. And it was great customer service. So I can understand it from a business perspective now. But yeah, it was like they said, Oh, just go for the weekend. Just book it Monday and Friday. And I was like, this is insane. So yeah. yes, it was pretty good.
0: So I think at the surface level and probably at a deeper level, it's a pretty solid set of experiences. But give us a view into the actual workload and stress that you encountered in doing that amount of traveling. I'd imagine Toronto to New York is no big deal. No. In in publishing, you're all over the place. So what did your days and weeks look like?
1: I have to say, I just loved that job. The stress was really that I had a target and that it really took a hit around, I'm going back quite a few years now, I'm dating myself, but around the GFC, the global financial crisis, when it was really difficult. That's when all of that sort of petered off. But up until that point, look, there was a lot of, there was a lot of money. In financial services. So these big financial clients, as long as you gave them attention and provided value, I can't say the stress was massive. It was always there.
0: One of the things that that I'm curious about when you're primarily dealing with the financial services sector, that particular sector doesn't exactly have a glowing reputation there. I hate to paint with a broad brush, but I think I think there are certain financial institutions in that sector that's usually in the news like almost every week for doing something that's not right. So when you are looking at your career in this trajectory, serving this industry, which can be a little slippery, how did you reconcile that with sort of your values, internal values in terms of getting things done? Because I'm sure there were instances where there you have to like look away and get stuff done just because that's what the client wanted.
1: I think because the publication was reaching Canadian financial advisors they had, I think actually the, the laws there are stronger than they are in Australia. I'm not sure about American laws, but of uh, the impressed. Wild West. <laughs> yeah, I was impressed with the clients like Royal Bank, for example, at the okay. time, um, just to throw one in there. And I thought the way they case their values, like during the financial crisis was really impressive. So that was just a glowing example of something good where they actually, I think doubled their ad budget, the ad spend during that time when everybody else just disappeared because they wanted to say, look, we're here for you. We're going to go through this with
0: you. It's it's an interesting contrast. It's great that you didn't necessarily have the experience that I was referencing because if you look on this side of the border on the US, basically it was US financial institutions that caused the crash. So yes. you knew that there were all sorts of like really, I'm going to use the English word, dodgy stuff. Yes. That was going on. So it's interesting that the Canadian financial sector is set up differently. So that's cool. You weren't really in, in an environment where you had to sell out your values to get stuff done. No,
1: but I was certainly not flying to New York anymore at that point. Yeah. No. So stop.
0: going through all of that experience, things are looking pretty good. That sounds pretty interesting. You're navigating a financial crisis and it seems like things are things are in good shape. And then what happened?
1: Yeah. Things started to take a turn in my personal life. So I had a child around that time as well. But, yeah, things just really started to take a turn and through a combination of I don't like to talk about it in great detail, the cause, but it's more because I think there is a whole reason, a whole range of reasons. People have health crises or breakdowns or massive setbacks. So I think there's a whole, yeah, so I don't necessarily want to talk about the cause, but I can tell you what happened. I ended up deteriorating pretty quickly over the course of about a year or so, where I got anxiety. I just basically couldn't keep up with my life. And that included my job, my personal relationships. Clearly, what I can look back in hindsight is everything had to crumble so I could rebuild it. So I can see that in hindsight. But at the time, it was anxiety and then the depression kicked in. And I had a very different view of what one should do. I just have my whole understanding of mental health and health in general. is so different now that it's really hard to talk about it with my lack of understanding back then. But I just kept pushing myself harder. You end up taking meds, you do what you're told, get counseling. But I ended up going to a psych ward. So I ended up just, I literally felt like I had hit a wall. So like this I don't know, something snapped. And I've heard other people talk about this, but I absolutely maxed out everything. So I had zero energy left for anything. And so what that led to was, yeah, I was suicidal. Like it was really hard to imagine given the person I am now and the person I was before, but I just couldn't keep up with myself. And so, yeah, I ended up Lots and lots of therapy and psychiatric treatment over the course of about a year until I was, I ended up moving back to Australia and just had to completely rebuild. And I'm not just talking rebuild as in get a job and reconnect with family, but it was like rebuild my brain because Hmm. I just, there was no way I could live the way I had before. So that forced me to stop and think, what's important? And that, of course, that didn't happen immediately either, but that is where that led because you just can't live the way you did.
0: One of the things that I'm wondering about is this didn't happen all at once. It was a cumulative series of things that that built up over time. When you look back and think about it, did you feel all of those things building or was it just, let me just get through it. Let me just get through it. And you just, and one day you just couldn't.
1: So okay. I remember consciously thinking, I don't know how to get off this treadmill. And it's the treadmill that you were talking about before, where we've been taught to play by the rules and go to work and be there at a certain time and deal with your kids and all your relationships and you've got to fit it all in somehow. So it's a combination of doing as I was told and trying to keep up with that. So keeping up with the people pleasing and the rules and the the life plan, the traditional life plan, and oh my gosh, I've got to just I've got to get through it because I didn't think. I couldn't see a way out.
0: This ties into some of the mindset conversations that we were having earlier, where you know people of a certain generation who have grown up a certain way, and you, you and I are similar in terms of generationally, we've been constantly told throughout our entire life, you just got to toughen out. You just got to stiff upper lip and all that other stuff. And generally, it's color within the lines and all of this sort of stuff. I'm sure you experience the same thing too. And frankly, a lot of that stuff is just not productive.
1: It was outdated. I think it it did work when I think back to my parents. They're in their seventies now, but I think it look it did work for them. But that is, they are rules that worked for the previous generation. I'm not even sure that they were look, I think that comes from the generation before them and they saw all these opportunities. And I think about the advance. It's a much bigger conversation, of course, but like the advancement of women and my grandmother never worked. And to think that now women, and it's not just women, I know men, it's your parents. We've got to look after the home. No one's really the boss. It's good that there's equality, 100%. But then we have to do everything at work as well. It's just, it's too much.
0: Your comment on it's too much, especially framed against the past pandemic and whatever else might be coming next is important because that's one of the big shifts that's happened is that you have your own reprioritization story that we're going to talk about. But everybody coming out of this the pandemic is doing the same thing. I want to I want to talk more about your efforts to rebuild. So you went through all of this trauma and you had to reset. So that whole resetting process, how did you even start?
1: It was basic survival to begin with. And I, when I look back, I think, look, I did have the self-belief. I didn't stay in that hospital bed. I didn't stay in the life that was breaking me. I had to look. I was told further to your point before I was told never to quit. So quitting was bad. And so I had to just realize, look, if I'm going to live, I need to quit. Like I need to quit everything. And I knew, and it was the first time that I'd really paid attention to my intuition because these are words that I was just never taught either. And it's now, it's so central to who I am. I just, so weird to think that like concepts like intuition are just not even taught. But yeah, I just started to pay attention. And it was like, where am I going to be able to not only survive, but rebuild my health and survive on my own terms. So those were the thoughts that came to me. I distinctly remember lying in a hospital bed in Toronto, looking up at the grey sky. It was November and thinking, I've got to get out of here, but I can do it. And whatever happens, I can do it. And it really went up from there. And so it was trying to go back to old habits to begin with. So I did try and I did look, I worked in the magazine publishing industry back in Australia for a bit but it was very clear that nothing was a good fit. So nothing felt quite right. But I think with any sort of change, you just have to accept as well. It's that radical acceptance concept. Everything's going to feel a bit off for a while. But it was understanding that, yeah, it was about finding a new support network. And that that it's not like going to, I don't mean like psychiatrists and people like that, but just like people who are going to, just accept me for who I was, flawed, and in my opinion at the time, and not successful, a massive failure. These are all words that would go through my head. My family relationships had broken down, so I just I was on my own. But I, yes, yeah, so it was just really starting from nothing. I had some savings, thankfully. So it's just getting, literally getting a job. And when that job didn't work out, it was trying the next thing.
0: One of the things that's going to be important for our listeners and viewers to wrap their heads around, is when you're in this rebuild mode, how did you use your understanding of yourself and your understanding of your values to inform your visions moving forward, be it career, personal relationships, whatever? How did you tie back down into your value system to move forward?
1: To be completely honest, I probably didn't even know what my value system was at that stage. But what I knew was what was making me feel ill. I would get headaches. And so I, it was like my body became really sensitive to negative energy or anything that was the wrong direction. Because I'd had this period of rest and a time, a chance to become centered, it was like I was just highly intuitive. So I didn't put words around those values until much later. But it was like I just had this radar of, what was going to be good for my healing. At the time it was survival. So my healing survival, but then over time, then it became growth and thriving and success because ultimately that's what I wanted and what everybody wants.
0: So as you're framing this out on the fly and building out what you know the values should look like, how did you reframe, how did your intuition or feelings or tuning into negative energy and all of that, How did that help reframe your prioritization of what you tackle and what you don't tackle?
1: I just learned to quit things because I was so used to taking advantage of opportunities and saying yes. And I'd gotten to my mid-30s at this point. And so I think it is a time when you can be a bit more discerning anyway. But yeah, I just learned to say no to things. And that just was what ended up shifting me into better situations.
0: It's interesting that you're saying that by the time you got to your mid thirties, you learned to quit things. And from your perspective, you're saying that was actually easier to do at that time than it would have been earlier. I would have thought the other way around because as you get older, you have like more responsibilities and more things that tie you down on a narrow path.
1: I I, I absolutely massively failed. I I was not, I was not in the same relationship. I was not in the same career path as as strongly as I had been. I had to embrace failure. So I had to reroute, I think, and I'm grateful for that because had I stayed in the path I was on and I, and Had I managed that in a healthier way, I wouldn't have had this opportunity. So I learned firsthand the absolute benefit of failing. So yes, it wasn't ideal that I had to do it in such a dramatic way, but that is people I work with. So clients have all had some level of what they perceive as failure or what they perceive as a setback. It can be health related as well, or it can be something else, but that's where we have this opportunity for post-traumatic growth.
0: So there's something really interesting about what you're referencing in what you just talked about. And part of your story is about the weight of the conditioning about not quitting things. And then you just mentioned that one of the learnings that you grabbed onto after you had to do the reset was embracing failure. And those two things for a lot of people are really strange concepts to even consider. Why should we be embracing failure and why should we be removing the stigma about quitting things?
1: I don't advocate for quitting everything in your life and starting off somewhere fresh. It's not necessarily, look, it can be great, but it's not what I'm advocating. But just, yeah, it's better if it doesn't get to that point. What I, the analogy I like to think about is if you think of a plant, like some sort of shrub, in order to allow that shrub to flourish, to produce fruit or amazing flowers, you have got to prune it back so you need to cut off the dead stuff so that you can grow and it's really the same with us so it's not following that one path that's like leading to nowhere anymore and getting like old and dry like some old branch it's if you can see that it's not leading you in the right direction it there's it's understanding that you need to cut that off so you it's important to quit so that you can grow if you look at Babies, like they need to if you watch them learn how to do everything, learn to walk, like they're failing constantly. And it's an analogy I've seen and heard many times that it's just it shows how our attitude towards failure somehow changes at some point. And it really shouldn't, because we all need to embrace trial and error and giving things a go, we're not going to be great at it at first. So we do need to cut things off when they're no longer working and then embrace the spirit of giving things a go and knowing that we're probably not going to be amazingly successful to begin with.
0: Another interesting contrast in what you just described, and I think your gardening or plant analogy is, is pretty interesting when, when we think about it. So you talk about the idea of pruning, and then we also talked earlier about the cultural conditioning that we can do it all, we can have it all. What I want to understand is, how do you get to a spot where you break away from your people-pleasing nature and are able to say no without having the guilt associated with saying
1: no? I think like anything, it's practice. So it is taking time out for yourself. I do understand that is challenging, but it means saying no to certain certain activities that you, so staying, don't go out just because you feel like you should. So that's a really key point. Don't do anything that you feel that you should do things where your heart is really in it. Yes, we've all got things like family obligations and things like that, but it's finding that time. So that could be, I know for a lot of people, it's getting up at 5am. I'm not one of those people, but I do find times at between, sometimes I have nights, where it's between 10 o'clock and midnight and I have this creative time. That's what works for me or getting out for a walk. But it's really important to take that time. I think for, gosh, for decades, I was on this like treadmill and I literally was on a treadmill. Like after work, Three nights a week, four nights a week, I'd be on a treadmill because I—I had my morning routine, I had my job, and it was all just slotted in. I didn't have to think, so it's really important to take the time out and look. It can be a more solid practice, something like meditation, it could be going to a yoga class, but anything where there's no chatter, and so you can actually hear your own chatter, and then it's starting to pay attention to that. It could be journaling, but taking note of what you really want which is a bit strange at first when you've been told to follow a a path or you've been told to do things a certain way and say yes and meet your KPIs and all of that. not saying you don't meet your KPIs, but maybe you don't want to be in the job where you have to meet those KPIs. Maybe there's a better job. So it's listening to those Voices. We've all got that chatter.
0: One of the things that I take away from what you just said, and I can relate to it on a number of different levels, is you really need to listen to yourself. And you talked about intuition earlier. You need to listen to yourself about what do you enjoy about the aspects of your job? Because no job is perfect, but there are elements of every job that you enjoy. So maybe there's an opportunity to focus in on that one area. So for example, like I'm a sales leader. I've always been in sales or sales leadership roles. And in my current role, one of the interesting things about this role is that the first time, even though I've run large teams and had large P&Ls, I was always front line with the team from a production perspective. This is the first time I've been in a role where I'm not in the game. And it's really difficult because I'm not super strong on the granular operational details. I'm a big picture Here's the mm-hmm. space that I run in. So let's get from here to here. And I don't really care how you do it. As long as you're not irritating customers, you're not being unethical and, and it's good for the company just go figure it out. And that's how I lead. But I wasn't prepared for the level of granular detail from an operations perspective. And I found out, oh, I really don't like this operation stuff. It's like way too much minutia for me. I'd rather be in a role where I'm like leading from the front and at least in influencing the sale if I can't be in the middle of it. So when you're talking about learning how to say no, pruning things and listening to yourself, that's what connected with me in how you're describing it, because we should be actively looking at and identifying what is it about this particular thing that really like lights my fuse?
1: Sometimes we've got to do the stuff we don't really want to do to get to the point of something we, we do really want. So like that, I understand what you mean by detail because I've hired a virtual assistant, but I have to onboard them. So I'm doing a lot of this detail to teach them the detail, but I really don't like the detail, but I know that there's a bigger picture. And so it's that bigger picture. The contrast to that is there was this collaboration I was working on and I kept getting, look, academically, the collaboration was a great idea. And I, but I would have these thoughts. I would think, it would just nag at me. Oh, are you sure? But what if this happens? And it's not, there's a difference between that and fear, but it was just this nagging, like, don't know, like, I just think this is a bit off. And so finally, like my, it was earlier this week, my BS radar was so high with something else. And this is what I mean by tuning into energy and intuition, I just knew I, I snapped like I just couldn't do it. So I said I just was very upfront with them when I said I just don't believe this is going to work. We're not aligned a couple of reasons and they were completely fine with it. So that was saying completely no to an opportunity, potential opportunity versus that little discomfort that you have to go through to get to a something bigger. So that that's the difference for me.
0: Even with that example that you gave it ties back into some of the things that we talked about earlier in terms of you need to identify and really latch on to what your rooting values are, and then make sure you're in alignment with everything that you move forward as much as you can be with, with the decision-making process. You've gone through this reinvention process. But one of the things that we didn't touch on in that process of reinventing, or we didn't touch on in great detail, is how did you reframe your priorities as you're coming out of the back end and rebuilding? Like, how did you shift what was important and how did that inform sort of your path forward into the role that you're in now?
1: So once I started to go out in business on my own, then it was realizing my priority was not working like crazy hours, even wasn't even earning a ton of cash at the beginning. It was about working with people I wanted to work with. It also meant just accepting that I actually had to go and work in a restaurant for a while. Like I just worked in a, as a waitress. And which I had done in my student life, but that actually, yeah, that really helped to just like the priorities just evolve naturally because I literally would feel ill if I tried to take on too much. My body had just become so sensitive to overdoing it.
0: What's particularly interesting about your journey is you had this arc, you had to rebuild and in that rebuilding process. A lot of what you do now is informed by what you learned in that rebuilding process. And the one thing that I'm really interested in is, and a lot of the work that you do now, it's focused on helping corporate types or corporate adjacent types build their own brand. And oftentimes when we talk in terms of brand and people as brand, a lot of people will crinkle up their nose and even <laughs> think, oh, you want to be an Instagram influencer or something yes. like that. I want to level set. And have you explained why it's important to, regardless of what you do, to start that brand building effort? Why is that important?
1: The important thing is to reframe how you think about branding, because branding, I had made this mistake myself, thinking that branding was about logos and colors and fonts. And yes, that is the visual aspect of a brand. But a brand has all of this strategy stuff in behind it as well. So the very so there's the brand strategy, which I would call the mindset as an individual, where you identify like really clearly your purpose. So what's driving you? And I think that can get confusing too because I'm not talking about your entire life purpose. That's so overwhelming. So it's about in line with whatever you're envisioning. If you're taking personal branding in a business or a work context, which is how I do it, it is understanding your purpose and what problems you're solving and what you're really driven to achieve as an entrepreneur or as somebody, as an employee. And then it is maybe doing a vision board. So understanding your vision, writing goals down. Like I've got a massive whiteboard here that I'm always like scribbling on. And then what is your, what's your mission? These are all the things that companies do but you can apply them to yourself as an individual. What are you on a mission? So I'm on a mission to help entrepreneurs or entrepreneurial thinkers to find their voice because I felt silenced for so long and I know what it's like, but finding your voice is how you connect and how you align with the right opportunities, the right life for you. And then it is really getting clear on values. So when I first thought about values, I thought of things like, oh, I'm reliable, I'm approachable. Those are all super boring. Everybody should have those things. No, it is getting down into your life story and understanding what were the pivotal moments? What were the things that have happened to you where you've had to show character or something? There was a huge shift. These can be good things or they can be bad things. So for me, what came out of the experiences I've had is that resilience is very important so that's a core value because of the way experiences i've had respect i only work with clients that respect me and i only work for I only work with people that i respect
0: we're scratching the surface in some of those brand conversation but i already know that there's going to be people listening and watching this and th- and saying all this brand stuff is great and all that's hey i just want to keep my head down and just get stuff done i don't really see how this is relevant to me Why put myself out there? How would you respond to people that are either thinking or saying that out loud?
1: I don't believe that everyone just wants to have their head down. And I think we've all got goals. We've all got things that we aspire to. So it is focusing on those things. And look, if you are thinking about your KPIs and the job, the specific job that you're doing, then it is thinking about the clients you're working with or the projects that you're working on. It's thinking about the next job that you might want in two or three years time. It doesn't mean you have to be an Instagram influencer or even post on LinkedIn or Twitter every day, but it's about having that profile on LinkedIn. It's about having a decent headshot. So you look like the credible credible, individual that you are. So you have a better chance of securing that next opportunity. That's the benefit for somebody who's quite happy with the status quo at the moment.
0: I think the Um, one thing that I pick out of what you just mentioned is that even if you're somewhat happy with being low key, when you look at the world today, it's a relationship economy. So if you're, even if at a baseline level, you're not really an out there person, I think it's important for people to be able to, without talking to you, understand who you are, what you care about, why that's important and how you help. These are the four pillars that I talk to my team about of individual contributors about if you're not communicating these things at scale, then more often than not, people are going to be ignoring you or not really wanting to build a relationship with you. And that's critical because when you look at the, how the world is oriented now, it's more so about the relationships that you're building over time and at scale than anything else. So how would you respond to my thought process or at least my four pillars of the value of establishing your brand and communicating that out loud, even if you're low key and the benefit that it gets you.
1: That's right. Because whenever you meet with somebody in any kind of capacity, business or or you know the capacity to do with your job, people are always going to Google you. And you know what often comes up first is LinkedIn. And so you want them to be able to find you and get a really quick snapshot of who you are, just to make, particularly if you're in a sales role, just to, just so that first meeting that you have is a smooth and successful one.
0: Really interesting conversation so far, Natalie. And I think, I think any one of these topics that we've covered, we could, I could probably talk about them forever and listen to you talk about them forever. I think the one thing that I want to dig into a little bit is there's a whole generation of people, there's probably multiple generations of people who are still operating in a way where it's, Hey, if I want to get ahead, I need to get, Go to the best schools, get a bunch of degrees, find a nice label, corporate organization to work for, and then just keep my head down and work hard and I'll be successful. How do you respond to that sort of thinking? And why do you believe or why would you argue that sort of thinking isn't relevant to today's world?
1: If that pathway feels good, I would continue down that pathway. And there's not one place that you would exit off that pathway to be an entrepreneur or to be a modern thinker, but it's at that point, wherever that lands, where it just doesn't feel right. It feels off. That is how I would change the status quo and how I think it's no longer relevant. There is huge merit in getting a great education and getting a great corporate job. It's how we learn to work with other professionals and it's a great foundation. But where the issue and the opportunity is when you've been in that kind of corporate role for a long time and you're feeling really dissatisfied and it's not aligning with your other life goals, that's when there's a chance to have a rethink. And I think it's, I know when that started to happen for me, I became really scared. And that's what caused me to feel very anxious because I was no longer going down this path or I felt I couldn't continue down that path. But that is really an opportunity to get to listen to yourself and to start taking note of what it is that you really want to do, what actually feels good, because there could be a different way of living or even a different role. It could be in a different industry. So what I would advocate for is to take time out. So don't take on too many commitments. I was always programmed to have loads of extracurricular activities and be very social. And there just was no time to think. So take time to think and begin to listen to intuition and start to observe other people that you admire, other people that are maybe living a way that is, it starts to feel more aligned. Even if you're still going and doing that corporate job, it's about thinking about which corporate job you prefer or knowing that there are choices. And there's an opportunity to grow in a different way because there are plenty of other people already on that path. And that's also a really key sign that the traditional path is not the only path.
0: The interesting thing about what you just mentioned is that there's sort of two pathways or two distances that you have to travel at the point where you feel like things are off And then you have to get to a space where you can evaluate the choices that are available to you. I think a lot of people get stuck in bridging that gap. So how would Mm -hmm. you recommend some things that people can do to bridge that gap?
1: I would start looking towards a different network. So start to, it can be as simple as following people online. So learning from people that, so start taking note of who you admire and it could be people in your local area going having a coffee with them, start to pick their brain and work out. And once you've identified where you want to go, like that, as you're saying, that is the hardest part, but then those people will give you loads of insight in their journey. I'm sharing my journey, but everyone who is what you deem as maybe successful or in a different following a different life path will also have their Insights.
0: The value of the network build can't be understated because when I look at some of the things that I've just done in less than a year, I was kicking around launching a podcast late part of last year, mainly because the organization that I was at didn't want to do thought leadership at the organizational level. So I just bootstrapped it. So I asked everybody in my network, Hey, I'm trying to do this. How would you recommend I actually get from here to here? And I got a bunch of advice. Google is always helpful. And then the next part of it was, I want to, I'm starting to see a lot more people do live shows. So how do you do live shows and what's the infrastructure need? So he just ask people. So I think your point about find the network, I think a lot of the network already exists. You just have to ask, you have to tap in and ask the questions. Like
1: like podcasts, yeah. listening to different people. It's, the resources are there. It doesn't cost anything.
0: Yeah and i think i think one of the things that i talk about pretty often is leveraging the weight of collective intelligence there's a whole wide world of people that know stuff and stuff too i ask questions and there's always going to be people that that tell you you and i are halfway around the world and we met we got together on linkedin and i was like oh you look like you have an interesting story that's really all it takes is and that
1: actually goes to my point which is about being visible because by, by owning your story, and yes, it takes time to really identify, you don't have to share every single detail either, by the way, but identifying what you've been through or what you're, the really pivotal parts of your story and then sharing that. Look, it opens up these opportunities and it connects you with people and opportunities that are aligned. And then that's just, it just explodes.
0: If you're generally going about in the world with a generosity mindset and an open mindset, I think it, th- there are things that will get in front of you that you never would have imagined. So I think that's a that th- those are some really great points that you make.
1: To answer your question about how do you get from A to B, I'd find a mentor. So find, so yeah, do a lot of research, like there's no massive rush. Just do a bunch of research, figure out where you want to go. And sometimes the mentor actually just appears in that, at that time. I mean, there's a saying about that, isn't it? When you're, I don't know, I'm not even going to say it, but the, something from the karate kid. When you're ready, the teacher will appear or something. I'm not even saying it, but oh. it, it's amazing what you can, yeah, it's amazing what you can attract when you've made that commitment and you put that out there, whether you're a religious person, when, you know, to God or whether it's to the universe, that's, it does come back to you.
0: It touched on something that I talk about fairly regularly. So when I'm talking to my team and anybody in my network about the value of sharing openly, you're building, I, I mentioned those four things. Who are you? What do you care about? Why is that important? How you help? These are the four pillars of how you move out in the world. And why is that important? The reason why I say you should be actively talking about those things is that you're building an attraction model out in the world for people that might be interested in those things. But if you never say anything and you never write anything and you don't show up, nobody knows.
1: That's right. And it's just conversation. So it's yeah. like we, we now have the power of not just going to a networking event or to some sort of social meetup in our town, but we've got the whole internet. Yeah. So it's pretty incredible. Before
0: we sign off, I want to cover a couple of, couple of clo- closing thoughts. So when we look at everything that we covered here and talked about, If you had to leave the listeners with one or two things that are absolutely critical that they need to be thinking about, what would those things be?
1: Think about your story. So you may not think you have um some like amazing story or you may think there are things in your story that are too shameful to talk about i know that was certainly me for a long time just write them down it doesn't have to be something that you share with other people right away but just start to take ownership write it down write a blog like anything and look at where those pivotal times were because that starts to teach you a lot of things about yourself so even the really times So that is one thing. So own your story. And then you can start to see, actually, I can really see where my strength, I showed my strength. In my case, I was very resilient. And connection is so important for me, another value. So that led to building network. So that's one thing, owning your story. And then taking time out to really think, don't disregard those, that chatter in your head. Don't worry about imposter syndrome. So There's always the negative, oh, you're an idiot. You can't do that. We've all heard that. Tell that to go away and start to focus on the other thoughts that come and then share that with somebody. So write that down and that starts to become your reality.
0: Natalie, before we sign off, where can people
1: find you? I'm always on LinkedIn. That's probably the easiest place. Natalie Coulson. My website is ampedupcoms.com. You can find me there or also on Instagram, ampedupcoms. Oh, and I'm also on Twitter. I'm probably in too many places. You're also on um, TikTok. I am on TikTok. I'm not doing much on TikTok at the moment, <laughs> but Twitter, Natalie J. Coulson.
0: Thanks for joining us and thanks for the awesome conversation. I'm sure the listeners and viewers are going to take away a lot from the conversation I know I have. You can find us on all of your favorite podcast platforms. We are under the Cascading Leadership handle on LinkedIn. That's our primary channel. You can also find us on YouTube. You can find us on Book. You can find us on TikTok. We're not on Instagram because, sorry, Natalie, it's only for food pics and we don't do that. (laughs) Thanks again. And we're looking forward to another great conversation down the road. Thank you for listening to this episode of Cascading Leadership. We hope you enjoyed the story as much as we did. Make sure you subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast player. Follow us on YouTube, TikTok, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook